Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for being here with us this morning. Well, today we continue our sermon series on spiritual disciplines. And the Christian spiritual disciplines are time-tested, biblically-warranted habits or practices that help believers in Jesus grow in maturity and in godliness. So throughout this sermon series, it's important to remember that we do not implement spiritual disciplines in an effort to make God love us more. Rather, the spiritual disciplines are tools that God has given us to teach us to love him more. And naturally, there's no better time than the beginning of a fresh calendar to establish these new priorities and practices. So last week we focused on prayer and prayer is simply calling on the name of the Lord, whether it's to express worship, repent of sin, make requests, give thanks, or even vent our frustrations and our doubts. We also discussed motivations for prayer and the attitudes with which we pray. And of course, we considered some practical tips for how to start praying and how to continue growing in prayer. But maybe the most important thing we discussed is what a privilege prayer is. It's thanks to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that sinners like us can approach God with confidence as we pray. Simply remembering the great price that was paid for us to have the privilege of prayer will go a long way in growing us in our desire to pray and our discipline of prayer. But this morning we move ahead to another spiritual discipline, and that is rest. Now, rest does not always appear in the standard lists of spiritual disciplines. Rest is probably not the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of disciplines. I mean, after all, aren't disciplines supposed to be hard work? But the truth is that we need rest. It's also true that we're not always very good at resting. And lastly, it's true that the Bible has a lot to say about it. And ironically, while rest may not sound like much of a spiritual discipline, it may be one of the most essential to our spiritual well-being and also one of the most challenging. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Feel free to follow along as we read. Use our Bibles if you need to and take one home if you don't have one. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Uh, Thank you for new faces and old faces who are here. Uh, Lord, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you today. Uh, Thank you that we can gather in a place that is safe, uh, that we have the freedom to gather to worship you openly. Thank you that when we gather here, when people drive by and see cars in the parking lot, On Sunday morning, that in and of itself is a form of witness to who you are and to what you've done. And I pray that our worship would stick out to the world around us, 
that the way that we worship, the way that we live, would cause people to ask questions about who you are. And I pray that we would be willing and ready to give them answers. Lord, again, uh, we love you, we honor you, and we just pray that the words that we sing and the sermon that I preach and the praise, the prayers that we pray and the offerings that we give, that everything we do here on Sunday morning wouldn't just be routine, wouldn't just be something we do as relatively conservative Midwestern American people, but rather everything we do and everything we say here would be intentional on our part and that we would remember that everything we say and everything we do here should be, ought to be, and I pray is uh, an act of praise to you. We love you. We glorify you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1967, testimony before a Senate subcommittee argued that by the year 1985, the American work week would be just 22 hours. But by the year 2000, the average American work week had increased by three hours compared to 1967. On top of that, studies have found that the average American today gets about two and a half hours less sleep per night than we did 100 years ago. Many have assumed that with the arrival of email, cell phones, and all kinds of other gadgets, we would free up more time for family, recreation, and rest. In addition, many assumed that working from home during the pandemic would lead to decreased work hours and increased productivity. But that hasn't necessarily been the case. Now, don't get me wrong. Technology has made many things better in our lives. And working from home can be great. But no matter how advanced we think we are at multitasking, how much progress we think we've made when it comes to time management, we don't seem to be getting any more rest. The Bible speaks frequently about work. In the earliest pages of Scripture, we learn that God himself is a worker. He works to create the world out of nothing. But then he rests. Genesis 1, starting in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So do you think God was tired after he made the world? Well, certainly not. He's God. Nevertheless, God saw fit to take a break from his work of creating to admire what he had accomplished. So while God does not need rest in the same way that you or I do, he sets an example of rest for us. In a sermon about the goodness of rest, it's also important to stress that work 
is not an inherently bad thing. Before sin entered the world, God gave Adam and Eve work. They were called to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over the world that God gave them. In short, Adam and Eve were called to tend and steward creation. Genesis 2.15 says that Adam was to work and keep the Garden of Eden. So while rest is incredibly important, that doesn't mean that work is intrinsically evil. God can be glorified, and we can feel dignified through honest, meaningful, and even hard work. But, while work can be a good and God-honoring thing, sin does corrupt it and changes our relationship to it. After Adam and Eve fell to Satan's temptation in the garden, their work becomes more difficult. In Genesis 3, 16 through 19, we learn that one of the consequences for the woman is that the work of childbearing becomes more painful. One of the consequences for the man is that the work of tending and subduing creation becomes more challenging. Theologian J.C. Lansmo writes that after sin entered the world, even at its best, work is bittersweet. And this serves as a constant reminder of Genesis 2 and 3. So ever since humanity first sinned, work has often felt like more of a curse than a blessing. I'm sure we can all relate to that. That's because the work that we perform takes place in the context of a world that has fallen under sin's curse. And if God sets an example of rest for humanity before sin, then how much more so do we need rest after sin? Well, thankfully, Scripture speaks about rest as well. So what exactly does the Bible tell us about rest? Well, first, God does not just set an example of rest for humanity. He explicitly demands rest for his people for our good with the institution of the Sabbath. Most famously in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath was essentially enforced rest for our good. Matthew Henry called the Sabbath a sacred and divine institution. One we must receive and embrace as a privilege and benefit 
not a task and a drudgery. First, God never designed it to be an imposition upon us, and therefore we must not make it so to ourselves. Secondly, God did design it to be an advantage to us, and so we must make and improve it. He had much more regard for our souls. That's a very Puritan way of saying that the Sabbath was made for our good. As Jesus says later in the New Testament, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's also interesting that God even commands that creation itself be given regular rest. We just saw that it wasn't only humans who were expected to rest. Even livestock was called to rest on the Sabbath. In Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 5, God's law even states that every seventh year, Israelite fields were to be left unsowed and unharvested. As any experienced farmer will tell you, even the land needs time to rest. So God in his generosity and in his wisdom, calls humanity, animals, and even the ground to rest for our good. One final point to consider is that rest is frequently presented in Scripture as a blessing from God. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, they didn't get the rest they needed. Pharaoh was cruel. He made them make bricks without straw. The same was true when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness after God delivered them from their oppression. So part of the hope, part of the blessing of the promised land was the opportunity to finally rest. To finally stop moving. One of the hallmarks of David's reign when he was at his peak as king over Israel, was that he and the nation had rest from their enemies. Rest can be a gift and can be a blessing from God. So again, work is not an inherently bad thing. But rest is an essential thing. But if we know in our heads that we need to rest, at least in theory, and if we can see that God clearly commands his people to rest in Scripture, as I hope we've seen so far, and if we believe that rest really is a blessing from God, then the question remains, why are we so bad at it? Why do we so often get so little rest? Some will blame the technology that we mentioned earlier, saying that all these developments have really done more harm than good. Others will blame capitalism, a popular boogeyman for just about everything these days. Others will blame the cultural phenomenon of FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, there may be some truth to all of those things. They may be part of the problem. But I have a feeling the issue with our lack of rest goes a lot deeper than that. 
Part of why rest is so hard for us is that rest is an act of faith. In Exodus 16, God promised his people bread from heaven as they wandered in the wilderness. But there was a catch. Each day they are commanded to only collect enough bread for that one day. The one exception is the sixth day, when they collect two days worth of bread, that way they can rest on the Sabbath. And if they try to collect more than they need, or if they try to save leftovers just in case God forgets about them one day, then the bread will spoil. In other words, God's command that the Israelites not work themselves to death to store up as much bread as they could was an act of faith. It was an act of trust that God would come through for them when they woke up each morning. That because God is faithful to his work, they could rest from theirs. So when you and I rest, in a way, we are acknowledging that every once in a while, God is capable of sustaining the world without our help. In that sense, rest is an act of faith. And even an act of humility, both of which can be difficult for us. Another reason that rest is often hard for us is that we tend to place so much stock, so much of our self-worth in our work. As Zach preached back in November, we're tempted to buy into the lie that making our own meaning, creating our own identities, And proving our own value is our job. And needless to say, that's a lot of work. Likewise, if we believe that our significance before God and before creation comes entirely from what we do, from what we contribute, or what we produce, then it's no wonder that we can't ever rest. But every one of us is made in God's image, regardless of what we can or can't accomplish, do or don't contribute, how much or how little we produce. And for those who believe in Jesus, we are more than just made in God's image. We are adopted, not our work. It ought to be incredibly freeing. To know that our dignity in God's eyes does not depend on the sweat of our brow. It's awesome to know that our salvation rests in Christ's work and not ours. And if we believe these things, then surely we can find time to rest. And lastly... Rest may be hard for us simply because we fall into the ever-present traps of worldliness and materialism. We work constantly and refuse to slow down, running ourselves ragged for the sake of building up treasures here. Treasures that, as Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, will not last into eternity. They rust. They fade. They perish. The author of Ecclesiastes, who may or may not have been the wildly successful King Solomon, 
warns us that idolizing all the knowledge, possessions, and achievements in the world will ultimately prove to be vanity. Striving after wind. You can work and gain everything in the whole world and end up losing your soul and never really rest. So when we realize that the rat race actually leads to a dead end and that the God who commands us to rest has far more to offer us than the world does, maybe then we can take a break. We mentioned last week in our sermon on prayer that Jesus prayed regularly. And it's not a stretch to suggest that if the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God felt the need to pray, then finite mortals like us might need to pray too. Well, the same is true for rest. Jesus rested. And if Jesus rested, you need rest In the words of theologian Clint Eastwood, a man's got to know his limitations. We are weak, finite, mortal beings. We can't do everything. We can't be everywhere. So may God give us the discernment and the humility to acknowledge our need for rest and to actually do it. And when you really think about it, the entirety of our faith rests on this truth. We can't do everything. There is something that we could not do, no matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we worked, that someone else had to do for us. Namely, atone for our sin. And this man... Jesus Christ invites us to find our rest in him. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, are there temptations that come along with rest? Yeah, of course there are. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 is a classic text reminding us that laziness is not a virtue. Laziness is not a spiritual discipline. But rest is. In addition, we may be tempted to be legalistic about rest. While the practice of a regular Sabbath may certainly have some wisdom and some value to it, the way that Old Testament Israelites practiced it doesn't directly carry over to New Testament Christians. So we shouldn't be too strict about Sabbaths or days of rest. And Jesus' invitation to find our rest in him does not mean that following him will never be hard work. Rather, it means that he has already accomplished the hardest work, the work that we couldn't do, the work of reconciling fallen people and a fallen world to the God who made it. 
But even with these various temptations that may come with an emphasis on rest, it is a necessary spiritual discipline. Rest is one of those tools that God has given us to express our trust in him, to find our worth not in our work, but in our identity as his creatures and his children, and to learn to value eternal things more than temporary things. As we stress throughout this sermon, God commands us to rest for our good. So don't neglect this spiritual discipline. The author of Hebrews warns his congregation against spiritual laziness, spiritual lethargy. In Hebrews 3 and 4, he looks back to the disobedient Israelites of the book of Numbers. Those who did not get to enter the rest of the promised land due to their lack of faith. But he also reminds his congregation that the promised land, as great as it was, was never the end all. And that something better is Jesus. He alone grants us access to true, eternal rest. But in the meantime, right now, in a very real way, you can find rest in Christ that the world simply cannot offer. So as Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let's make the most of this spiritual discipline that's been given to us for our good and for God's glory. Let's find our rest in Christ, the only person who can truly offer rest anyway. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, this day. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. Thank you for the words that you give us, the promises that you give us, the teaching that you give us, the reminder that you give us that ultimately at the end of the day, our dignity, our worth is not found in our work, is not found in our blood and sweat and tears, but is found in you, our identity with you, our unity with you. Lord, thank you for good, rewarding, honest work that so many of us have, that we have the opportunities to provide for our families and contribute to the world around us and help our neighbors and give to this church. But Lord, I also pray that you would help us find rest when we're tempted to put way too much of our value in our work, when we're tempted to run ourselves ragged trying to acquire more stuff or things or accomplishments. When we're tempted to tell ourselves that we have to keep working to survive because we're not entirely sure that you'll take care of us. Lord, I pray that you would help us rest. And again, help us rest in Christ. Because this world that we live in that's passing away, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You have to work hard to get by. But Lord, I pray that we would find our rest in Christ. That we would accept the offer that Christ gives us 
to take his yoke upon us and to find rest for our souls. And Lord, even though following you is not always easy, it's always rewarding. It's always worth it. And it does lead to the only eternal rest that you have to offer. So Lord, help us find our rest in you. Help us trust you. And help us sleep well, rest well, knowing that you love us and that you care for us. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.